This afternoon, we are going to give our attention to the themes presented in Baptist Catechism 52 and 53. Question 52 asks, what is forbidden in the first commandment? And and our custom here is to uh, recite the catechism answer together as I lead you. And we will do that with question 52, and I will simply read question 53. But what is forbidden in the first commandment? Repeat after me. The first commandment forbids the denying... Or not worshiping and glorifying the true God, as God and our God, and the giving that worship and glory to any other, which is due unto Him alone. And then in question 53, we hear these words, What are we especially taught by these words before me? And the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What do the words before me mean? And these words before me in the first commandment teach us that God who sees all things takes notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. And then our scripture reading for this afternoon is Romans 1, 18-25. A very important passage that reinforces, that teaches these themes. And there we read in Romans 1, 18, the words of Paul, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We have already learned the first commandment. It is this, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. And we have learned what the first commandment requires. It requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. But here we are asking, what does it forbid? What does it forbid? And I do love how our catechism proceeds with care through the Ten Commandments. With every one it asks, what does it require? And then it asks, what does it forbid? And I think this is very helpful. Uh, It is not always apparent to us what it requires and what it forbids. It's important for us to consider the, the Ten Commandments, every one of them, in this way. It's as if the framers of the catechism took each commandment, set it down on the table, and then walked around it to examine it from from all angles. Now, of course, our catechism is very brief. It cannot provide thorough answers. Uh, For these questions and answers are meant to be memorized. But if well written, which they are, uh, these questions and answers set our minds off in the right direction And I think our catechism, again, is very well written. These little answers do set our minds off in the right direction. This is important for us to do, brothers and sisters. 
To have a catechism like this as a teaching tool for the church to use and for us to pay attention to it. It's important for young and old and I think it is only going to grow in importance as our culture moves further and further away from from God and the knowledge of God. We must understand the Christian faith. We must know what we believe. And the catechism does help us with that. So what does the first commandment forbid? In other words, what does it tell us not to do? Our catechism identifies three things. One, the first commandment reveals that it is a sin to deny God. It is a sin to deny God, to deny that He exists. And in fact, to deny or to refuse to acknowledge Him as God is a very great sin. The Scriptures teach us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Have you ever heard that before? So where does wisdom get its start? Uh, Where does a person start to become wise? It is with the fear of God, which means acknowledging God to be God and to have honor and reverence for Him. So the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That is what Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom is the art of living life well and according to truth. And if we wish to be wise, we must start with the fear of the Lord. This means that we must acknowledge Him to be the one true God and to honor Him accordingly. It is impossible to live a life of wisdom if you deny God's existence or fail to honor Him as God. And this is why the Scriptures also say, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. That is Psalm 14, verse 1. And so the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the denial of God is the beginning of folly. To live as if there is no God is to live a misdirected life of sin. To deny God is to set off on the wrong path and in a very bad way. Children, I wonder if you even know how blessed you are to be here today, and to be raised in homes where you are taught this most fundamental truth, there is a God. And we may know Him. And we are to worship Him. It's basic truth, isn't it? Some of you kids are thinking, well, of course there is a God. But you say that because you've been taught that by your parents. And you've learned that as you've come to church. But this simple truth, this most fundamental truth, is the beginning of all wisdom. You are being set on a path where you are going to be able to live life with wisdom. Because you are being taught from a young age that God exists. We may know Him. And He is to be worshipped. He is to be served. Uh, These simple basic truths are not to be ignored. They're to be cherished. They're to be proclaimed. Uh, They make a big difference is what I'm saying. They make a big difference in terms of the way that we live our life. The first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, warns against the sin and folly of denying God. For here in this commandment, it is God who speaks to us. We need to remember that as we study the Ten Commandments. Who is speaking to us here? God is speaking to us. You shall have no other gods before me, he says. He claims here to be the only true God, and he warns us that it is a great sin. In fact, it is the first sin and the beginning of all sin to deny him. We set down off the we set off down the path of wisdom when we honor him as God, and we set off down the path of sin and folly when we deny him. And here is something that you must keep in mind. Everyone has a God. Everyone has a a God. There are no exceptions. Everyone worships something. Even atheists worship. Did you know that? What is an atheist except someone who 
denies the existence of God in the most absolute of terms. They say, it is my opinion that there is no God at all. But even that atheist still worships something. Though he may deny the existence of God in the most absolute terms, he does still consider something to be of supreme worth. He trusts in something. He hopes in something and lives for something. The atheist wakes up in the morning and, just like you and me, lives with purpose and does seek to honor and glorify something. And so, do you see that when a person denies the one true God, they certainly do break the first commandment. They have put their trust in someone or something other than God. They have put someone or something in His place. And this is the first and greatest of all sins. Two, the first commandment reveals that it is sin to not worship and glorify God as God and our God. These truths need to be reflected upon, I think. They're actually very profound. This is true and very helpful. And I'm afraid that some assume that they are keeping the first commandment, track with me here, so long as they do not bow down to another God besides the God who has revealed Himself in creation and redemption in the Scriptures. In other words, as long as I don't bow before an idol, then I'm good when it comes to the first commandment. I have not broken it. But when we ask what does it, what, what does it forbid and what does it require as, as we are here in our catechism? We see, no, there's, there's, more, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. The first commandment does not only forbid worshiping other so-called gods, it also forbids failing to worship and glorify the one true God. That is what it requires, that we worship God and, and glorify Him. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, He must also mean, you shall have me as your God. See, there's a positive requirement there being put before us. When he says, you shall have no other gods before me, he's saying, I am God and you are to honor me as God, as such. You are to worship me and to serve me. And so, we sin against him when we fail to acknowledge him, worship and glorify him. Think about that. I think maybe you're beginning to see that it is not only the polytheistic pagans or the misdirected monotheists who break the first commandment. It's also secularists I'm speaking over the children's heads here, but do you know what I mean? Secularists, uh, those who claim there is no God and live as if there is not, they are breaking the first commandment. It is even the evangelicals who claim to believe in God but fail to worship Him and glorify Him according to His Word. Think about that. Think about that. The first commandment requires that we worship God and that we honor Him and that we worship Him according to the Scriptures. And when we fail to do so, we break this commandment. And so, brothers and sisters, when we begin to understand the first commandment, what it forbids and what it requires, we start to come to the realization that we also break it. We also break it. For who among us does perfectly and perpetually worship and glorify God as God and their God? Who among us does this perfectly? We don't. We fall short of this, friends. And this is why we all need a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. But those who have faith in Christ are to strive to keep this law with the strength that God provides. We are to strive to give glory to God because we are grateful for what He has done for us. Thirdly, our catechism rightly teaches that the first commandment forbids us from giving that worship and glory to any other which is due unto God's name, unto God alone. And brothers and sisters, please consider how prone we are to do this very thing. 
It is very, very easy for us to love the things of this world more than God. To labor for the things of this world and not for God. And to trust in the things of this world instead of God. We are so prone to give the worship and glory which is due to God alone, to created things rather than the creator of all things, seen and unseen. Christians, true Christians, reformed Christians, reformed Baptist Christians, right, are not immune from this. But day by day we are prone to grow distracted and to fall in love with the things of this world and to begin to give that love and honor to to the things of this world above God and before His very eyes. You should remember that this is the human tendency described in that Romans 1 passage that was read earlier. Though God has revealed Himself generally to all men so that all know Him in this general sense, men in their sins do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became, I'm quoting now Romans 1, futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. They live in sin. Claiming to be wise, they become fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And there is their fundamental error. There is the fundamental error of, of, of all of humanity. We have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Did you hear it? Here's our fundamental problem. We are, we are made in such a way that we, we worship. All do. No one refrains from worship. Everyone worships. Everyone has a God. But where do we go astray? We, we misdirect our worship to the things of this earth, to created things instead of the, cre- to the Creator. And we, we make other things our God rather than God Himself. So friends, if you have faith in Christ, it is true you've been washed in His blood, You've been renewed by His Spirit. You've been reconciled to the Father. And you've been freed from this bondage to sin. But I think you would agree, we do still struggle with this propensity, this corruption that remains within us, and the temptation that comes from the world around us and from the evil one. We are still prone to worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. This is still a temptation for us. Christians stumble when they love their children their spouses, or their comfort supremely with the kind of love that should be reserved for God alone. When we do this, we break the first commandment. Christians stumble when they make money, possessions, a career, and good health their ultimate hope. We break the first commandment when we do this. Christians stumble when they place trust not in God supremely, but in government, and family, in investments, and in their own plans. We break the first commandment when we do these things. And I set these examples of misplaced faith, hope, and love before you, and I hope that you can see how easy it is for us to go astray and begin giving that worship and glory which is to, to other people and things, which is due unto God alone. Where do you run to alleviate your anxieties and fears? Where do you run? Do you run to God in prayer? Or is it to some other thing? And what is it that you cannot imagine living without? Have you ever thought of that? What is it that you cannot imagine living without? What moves you to anger or despair at the thought of it being taken from you? 
In other words, I am asking, what is the source of your life? What is the source of your life? Is it God or some other thing? Perhaps your children or grandchildren are the source of your life. Perhaps it is your money or your health. Brothers and sisters, as precious, as important as these things are, they must not be the source of our life. God must be. Stated differently, if I were to ask you what would cause you to be undone and ruined if it were taken from you, what would you say? What would you say? What would cause you to be undone and ruined if it were taken from you? Those are big words, strong words. What would you say in response to that? I hope that you would say this, there is nothing in all the world that if it were taken from me would cause me to be undone. And I hope you would agree with the psalmist who said, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That is Psalm 46, 1 through 3. What is the psalmist saying? Even if everything that brings me a sense of comfort were shaken and removed, I still have God as my refuge and strength. And so I want for you to see that when God is your God, it affects your thoughts, it affects your emotions. The way that we spend our energy and time and money is also very revealing. I might ask my brother Phil, did you read my sermon manuscript? You brought this up, didn't you, uh, this morning? Uh, these are limited resources, and where and we are to use them to the glory of God. And so, so this is very revealing. How do we spend our energy, time, and money? Um, perhaps it will help us to see that we have a God besides God sitting upon the throne. And in particular, what we do on Sundays, which is the Lord's Day and the Christian Sabbath, is very revealing. It is the one day out of seven that is to be devoted to the worship of God. On it we are to cease from our labors and our ordinary recreations to give Him the glory that is due His name. And so if we were doing other things on the Lord's Day, it's very revealing. It might be showing us that we have something or someone other than God sitting upon the throne of our lives. For God is to be worshipped, and He is to be worshipped as He has prescribed in His Holy Word. The point is this. The first commandment forbids us from giving that worship and glory to any other which is due unto God alone. And do not assume, brothers and sisters, that it is only the pagan and the polytheists or the misdirected monotheists who violate this law. Don't, don't assume that. No, it is even the orthodox who violate this first commandment in thought, word, and deed. When we allow created things to sit down upon the throne of our hearts, that is the Creator's throne, brothers and sisters. He alone is to occupy it, and every other created thing must be set in its proper place, so that in all things God gets the glory. As we move now to a conclusion... I wish to very briefly deal with Baptist Catechism question 53. It asks, What are we especially taught by these words before me in the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, is what the first commandment says. The question is, What is meant by the words before me? And the answer is wonderfully helpful. These words before me in the first commandment teach us that God, who sees all things, takes notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. Polytheism is the belief in many gods. And polytheists do honor many gods. Henotheism is the belief in many gods, but the honoring of only one God as supreme. Have you ever heard of henotheism? So henotheists believe in many gods, but they are devoted only to one. And as I understand it, henotheism is gaining popularity even amongst some evangelicals, which is both surprising and not surprising all at the same time. These henotheists imagine that all... That all of the references to other gods found in the scriptures mean that there really are other gods, but that we are to have 
to not have them as our gods. And, that, and they would interpret the words before me in the first commandment to mean above me. Are you tracking with me? You see how those words could be taken in that sense? You shall have no other gods before me. Oh, so if I have other gods or believe in other gods, it's okay provided they take second place to God. But they're badly mistaken. When the, when the scriptures speak of other gods, they do not mean that they are in fact gods. No, these do not have the divine nature. As has already been established, the biblical view is that all that exists may be divided into two categories. There is the Creator, and then there is the creation. And these gods that the scriptures refer to are not really gods, but are instead something from God's creation which men have foolishly decided to honor as God. These so-called gods are not divine in nature. Instead, they are inanimate objects such as the sun, moon, and stars, rocks, mountains, and trees. Or they are angelic beings who have fallen from their proper place. Or they are merely human kings and others made in God's image to whom the divine nature is wrongfully attributed. When God's law says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, He means you shall have no other gods before my face or in my sight. We are to have no other gods at all even if they be placed under the authority of Yahweh. For He alone is God. Besides Him there is no other. Isaiah 45, 21 Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides Me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides Me. We know this is true. There is no other God beside God. And may it be true of us and in our own hearts. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for this rich doctrine. We thank You for these simple truths which make such a big difference. I pray for our children that they would know for certain that there is only one God and that they would honor Him as such, that they would have no other gods before You. I pray it for those who are mature in Christ, who have been walking with the Lord for some time, that they would keep their hearts free from idols. Lord, we are all prone to it. Father, help us as Your people to enjoy the good things of this life which You have given us, but to never worship them, to never love them supremely. Father, help us to keep them in their proper place, so when we eat good food, and when we drink good drink, when we enjoy wonderful relationships, when we enjoy things like marriage and family, and the comfort of a home, Lord, we thank You for these things. But even if they are taken from us, we confess that we will not be undone, for You, God, are our refuge and strength. You are our supreme love. I pray that this is true of us, and if it is not, we pray that You would remedy it. Lord, I pray that You would preserve us also, so that we might live to Your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.